Hello and welcome to episode 140 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. Uh, And we have got, we're nearing 150 episodes. We've got a lot of great past guests on there. Absolutely. From the world of novel writing, screenwriting, video game writing, comic writing, journalism, comedians. So do check out the back catalogue if you haven't done that already. But today we are in the world of crime and specifically crime from the other side of the planet. Yes, we're going down under to speak with the awesome Jane Harper this week, uh, who I'm a, a bit huge fan of. And she's written some fantastic books. The Dry, obviously, is her big splash. Uh, Aaron Fox is her investigative homicide cop. Um, who's come back for a couple of books, Force of Nature and the upcoming Exiles, which is out in the UK very, very soon. And it's a really, it's a really fun chat we have with Jane. She's, she's, you know, she started off as a journalist, and then she talks about her planning process, how she got started, what, 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 what it was that kind of gave her the in to get her book out there. In the yeah, and and like I think we've had we've had a couple of uh, Australian authors on before. We had Chris Hammer and Diana Reed, but Chris. Um, Really, I think I think he mentioned that Jay- Jane's success with the drive was something that really opened up Australian fiction as an international um, export possibility. Essentially, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it was really great getting a chance to speak with her. Really interesting chat, uh, hearing about her journey into the the world of novel writing, and also, um, as you say, that that planning process that she has. Uh, and we also discuss, you know, her new book, Exiles, which is the final one in the Aaron Folk series. So um, we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. 
and then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because I know, obviously, you went into journalism before you became a novelist. Yeah, I did. Um, so I always did want to be, I, I always wanted to be an author, but I didn't um, probably admit that to myself for quite a long time. Um, you know, ever since I was a child, I always kind of had this sort of secret burning ambition to write a book. Um, but then, you know, as you grow older and sort of go to secondary school and uni and stuff, I, I really did not know um, how people did it. And so that yeah. kind of fell away a little bit. Um so my, um, yeah, so I, I got into journalism really because I wanted to write and that was a way of, you know, writing professionally and getting paid for it. Um, and I kind of put the the novelist aspirations a little bit kind of in a hidden box and didn't really open that up for, for quite a lot of years. And were, during that time as a journalist, were you working on fiction as well or did you sort of keep it in that box for a while? I completely kept it in the box. I didn't I didn't write any fiction at all. You know, sometimes you hear, you know, novelists talk about how they were kind of, um, you know, sort of, you know, kind of scribbling away at kind of short yeah. stories and little snippets of chapters here and there and, you know, developing things. Um, but no, I didn't do I didn't do anything. I mean, I really just um, I, I honestly was not sure how to even start. Like I kind of didn't want to take it seriously because I think then the it would feel so overwhelming, mm-hmm. um, and and it it just put me off. And it, the amount of I, I guess the sort of time and effort that I knew it would take, and I, you hear these horror stories about you know the fraction of percent of people who actually get their novels yeah. published, and it it really put me off. You know, just thinking that it, it, there's no points there's honestly no point even trying because it won't go anywhere. And, um, and that sort of held me back for years and years really. Um, and it was only um, when I was, um, I was 34 when I started writing my debut novel, which was The Dry. And the, the, the only thing that changed in that whole time was this, the, a, a bit of a switch of mindset where I, I sort of came to this point where I realised I, you know, um, I wanted to write a novel more than I feared failing. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, I was able to kind of let go of that idea of um what would happen next and I thought I'm just going to write it for myself and I'm going to assume nothing's going to happen but at least I'll have done it and, and am, I, am I right in saying that you kind of obviously the dry was your first big book and we'll chat about that and the process behind all that and stuff but you had a short story published in Big Issue magazine a couple of years before that came out and I wonder was that your first kind of recognition of your fiction writing that you'd had yeah and actually that was um that was such a kind of important step for me in that um, it was, it was around a time when I was starting to have this kind of mental mind, you know, mind shift. Um, and I saw just by complete chance, this, this kind of call out for the fiction edition of the big issue and this for stories. And, you know, they, they were so, they were so short. It was you know, a thousand words or something. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I can write a novel, but maybe I can write a thousand words. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do it every day for, you know, um, in my journalism job, I'm, um, doing it on all these things I'm not interested in. Maybe I can do it for something I actually am kind of interested in. So, um, yes, yeah, so I sort of wrote this just um, little kind of thousand word, you know, mystery story. And um, it was one of 12 that got 
selected to be in the magazine. And I can't even tell you what a, a boost of confidence that gave me. Just seeing my name, you know, next to the story and um, just like a little presentation and things. And it was it was so that was kind of the point where I thought, you know, like this is so great. And this is this is the most rewarding feeling I've had kind of in any kind of work related capacity for years. I really yeah, I would love to kind of replicate this. So that was almost like the the kind of the kickstart I needed to yeah, then yeah. write that novel. And I went pretty much straight into writing The Dry, actually, like almost, you know, probably the following week I kind of sat down and really started oh, wow, thinking okay. about that seriously. So, I mean, how I think I'm right in saying The Dry came out in 2016, so um, a couple of years or so after after that short story. I mean, how long, once you started writing that novel, having had all of these doubts I suppose playing in your mind how long did it take you to get to get that to a state that you were you were happy sending off to someone um you know in hindsight it took it took almost no time like in hindsight now now working as a professional novel like author I can't I can't believe how I can't believe how fast I turned that out actually <laughs> I, mean, I think it was that kind of beginners you know that sort of confidence of like you don't really know the yeah. task ahead of yeah. you so you just kind of plunge into it um so I so the timeline was I wrote that short story for the big issue and that was so that would, would have been 2014 then I pretty much went straight into you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna do I'm gonna write this novel um I signed up for a 12-week online course um because I had this sort of um theory that you know I, I couldn't I wasn't sure I could write a novel, but I was always a bit of a goody two shoes at school and I knew I could do my homework. And I thought I can, you know, if I've got this kind of external pressure, yeah. um, I can submit chapters and, you know, turn up for the yeah, assignments or whatever. So I, I, that's, that was kind of what led me to that. And I wrote, I, you had to submit, a, you know, an idea and a bit of a synopsis. So that's how I came up with the idea for the drive for that, um, yeah, my application for the course. I wrote probably... Um, half of it or half of the first draft within sort of 12 that those 12 weeks and then I kind of raced to the finish line so by by the end of the year I started writing it in October and by the end of the year so end of December I had like a 45,000 word completed draft um which you know I'd kind of just set myself that as an artificial deadline um then um in I, I continued working on it and then in April 2015 so about six months after I started writing it I entered it in an unpublished manuscript competition um by that point it was like uh you know 70,000 words or something and um and I won that competition and that was for me what completely opened the door so suddenly I had publishers and agents yeah. asking yeah. if they could read it so it was about six months from kind of you know the initial idea through to winning this manuscript competition and then there was like another six months of going through publishers and you're know, getting my publishing deals and going through their editorial process. And then it, yeah, it came out then the following year in 2016. And did, do you think your, your day job as the journalist and, and, you know, having had to write to deadlines and things like that, do you think that helped with that initial, you know, putting that, pre, you know, because a lot of people, can get a lot of pressure and they can meander and all of that sort of thing but perhaps your journalism helped you focus on the actual writing and get those words down yeah it definitely did and I, I think um that that was a huge part of what helped me get yeah, exactly get those words down in the first place because I was so I was so kind of match fit for it you know I was at the computer every single day writing you know hundreds of words thousands you know on features and interviewing people and all kinds of things so it wasn't a huge leap for me to then sit at the computer and turn out you know a, a thousand words of a novel mm-hmm. 
Um, and yeah, that really helps. And also this, the, those kind of core disciplines of things like, you know, being able to express your ideas clearly on the page and trying to being aware of trying to engage the reader, you know, you're writing for an audience, um, being very used to that kind of thing. So all those, um, yeah, all this, that stuff really helped me. Um, and I found, I found it very transferable. I mean, it's, there's still skills that I use to this day, really. And, and what's your, you know, when you, when, when you sit down to do the writing, what's your style? Do you, do you do a lot of planning? Do you spend a lot of your time planning story out, plot points, character beats, setting, etc.? Yeah, I do. I, I'm such a big planner. That's why I'm so interested in your notebooks. Um, because I just think it's for me, um, I know some authors just absolutely don't go for it at all. And you know, I, I fully respect really anybody's process because whatever helps you get the words on the page, that is the right way to do it. For me, though, the right way to do it is um, just to plan it to the nth degree. So I, um, I spend longer planning it and outlining it than I do writing a novel every single time. Um, I mean, I would probably spend um, yeah, six or seven months kind of planning it. And I, I, I get to the point where um, I have the entire thing mapped out, you know, chapter by chapter, how the chapters are going to start and end, you know, exactly what's going to happen, where they're going to have that conversation, what clues are going to be revealed to the reader. And so when I actually sit down to write it, um, I only, you know, write, write it when I'm sort of, I've, I've worked through all the kinks and everything that needs to be untangled. And I know that all those scenes are the right ones and they're going to appear in a finished novel. And it's just a question of executing it as best I can. So I've done all the, the thinking. It's now just literally about the writing. It's interesting because the more we speak to authors um, about this process, and you know, some of them are planners, some are panthers or whatever, but really they're all talking about the same, they're doing the same thing. They, mm. they categorize it as a different thing. And obviously you're planning in great detail there, but it almost sounds like you've got a sort of skeleton draft by the end, by the time you're starting to, to draft it there. So in a way you're you're working that's through it in plan. the same way that, that someone, yeah, exactly, someone that says, oh, I don't plan at all would be doing. And often their first draft is a very slapdash thing to try and get through the story kind of a thing. So th- there's a little people make this distinction there seems to be a similarity between the two approaches sometimes you know thank you for saying that you were you were the first person who has said that and I completely agree <laughs> because I always want to say to people who are your cancers you know I want to say we we do the same thing the only difference is um I don't write it out mm-hmm. like you know I, so so we we have to go through exactly the same process like what's going to happen and who's going to do what and where's where's this bit going to fall the, the only difference I can see is that I literally just stick to note form until I'm sure whereas some people like to write out the whole scene but it's still a question of that trial and error and you know the reason I sort of like to kind of plan you know I guess in note form is that I find it allows me to test out more things in a quicker time so Mm -hmm. you know I don't have to commit 10,000 words I can commit 10 sentences and is it working? Um, so I just find it more efficient. But I agree. I think it's exactly the same process. You still have to work through the story. It's just a question of how much, I guess, you feel you have to put on the page yeah. to know whether it's the right yeah. route or not. Yeah, definitely. And I imagine that means that you've kind of, when you when you come to, to switch to the formal writing stage, you must have a cleaner first draft then, I imagine, because you've done so much planning. And your editing from that point on must be faster. Yeah, I mean, the first draft is really is is really clean, actually. Like, I, I mean, I guess that's I guess why I do it because I do find it so much more efficient. So I've kind of already I've already worked through the stuff. So um, 
the first draft is is you know it's almost I mean I could I could I could probably submit it to the editors and I mean I only really write kind of one draft in a way and then I'd probably print out that whole thing and I'd go through it again and but it's 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 pretty close. Um, the only thing is, though, sometimes I do find interestingly is that however hard I plan, there's always things that don't then quite work out mm-hmm. on the page. Okay. Um, so things that like look good in the plan, but then when you actually get on the page, you realise that maybe you know the the characters are just the scene jump is too much. You know, you need like a little connecting scene to show them getting from A to B, or um, or, or quite often actually there's too much. So you think you think you can kind of get all in, in a plan. It looks like it's one chunk and you can get all this in. And then you realize on the page, it's actually too much. Like it's, it's, yeah. it just needs to be slowed down a little bit. And then I have to kind of, so then I'd go back to the plan. I would like kind of rework. Yeah. I'd rework it in the plan before yeah. I went back to then write okay. it on the manuscript. And in terms of um, sort of jumping back, I suppose, to when you got picked up, obviously you, you did this competition, which was my, a massive um, foot in the door, as you say, opened the doors for you. But um, we've, we spoke with other, a couple of other Australian authors. We spoke with Diana Reed and we spoke with Chris Hammer. And the, the literary scene in Australia seems to be much smaller, um, but growing fast, I think, is, is probably the way to describe it. And does that make it easier or harder to break into the literary scene there because obviously there's it's a smaller scene to break into but perhaps more competition I'm not sure yeah it's a great question I don't really have um an answer for it because I guess you only know your own journey you know and that was kind of how and I didn't really know much about the industry before I won that competition um I wasn't kind of yeah, some people are very involved. And they 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 you know in a lot of writer circles and things. But I was just kind of working full time as a journalist, and I wasn't really in it. So my first exposure was kind of yeah, winning this competition and suddenly getting kind of embraced by it. I guess so for me, it was very positive. Um, yeah, it is interesting though because I mean it is it is I guess probably more more tight knit. Um, but whether that makes it more competitive, I don't know. Because I mean, you think well, I mean you know have. I guess if Australians embrace my my books because they love reading about Australia, but then at the same time, there's lots of Australian books in Australia. You know, there's lots of yeah. there's lots of other people who write about Australia. So it's hard to know. Yeah, I haven't really got a good answer. It's an interesting question though, and I think it just shows how different each market and territory really is. Yeah, is it, Australia as a setting though? We we said this before as well. It strikes me as a setting that is so ripe for for sort of the types of stories that, that you tell and, and Chris Hammer tells and stuff like that. You know, it, it has it has everything. It's got these centres of, you know, big cities, with very diverse cities, and it's also got the outback where, you know, there's nothing. It's got sort of like, you know, to look at something that's been more successful in previous years, uh, the sort of American Midwest wide open type situation as well. So it... I just find it odd that it's taken so long for Australian fiction to sort of have that international reach when the setting is so rich, I think, for, for some great stories there. Yeah, I mean, the setting is is such a gift. Like, I think, um, I agree. I mean, the setting is just um, whatever you want, it's there. You know, you want like a bustling metropolis, you've got it. You want, yeah. you know, kind of, I don't know, de- sort of, yeah, the wide open spaces, you've got them. You want touristy beaches, you've got them. It's... Um, it's so, um, it is so kind of ripe for picking. 
Um, and I think, um, I mean, for, as an author, I mean, that's just one of the, the, the best things about it. There's, there's, there's this settings that, um, they're almost, they're almost too good for fiction. You know, some things that are like, I always feel with fiction, like it's, it's not just, um, it can't just be real. It kind of has to feel real as well. Yeah, sure, and there's some, yeah. there's some sort of settings in Australia that is so kind of out there. You think, God, it'd be great to set a book here, but would it feel too fictional yeah, um, sure. even from the outset? It's funny because you have a bit in, is it, I think it's The Lost Man, where, you know, you chat about how when, when you drive off into this part of Australia, you have to have like a, a pack full of like water and supplies because if your car breaks down, you could be, you know, stranded for it. And I was, I was, I was like, it's like the alien planet. You know, it's, it's, like another, it's like another part of the world that I've never experienced and stuff. And it's, it, it, is, it is ripe for a kind of story, but... Unlike most I've ever actually read, to be honest, it's it's a great setting, and I'm amazed how long it's taken for Australian fiction to kind of become big in other parts of the, of, of the world. Yeah, I mean, The Lost Man was um, yeah, is it's, it's such a great case in point. I mean, that research trip for that was just so eye opening because you know I think I think all Australians we like to think we're kind of you know one with the land and yeah we we kind of embrace the outback but in truth most of us like barely venture outside yeah. of the urbanized yeah. areas you know um and um you know I went out to this this you know complete outback setting and had to kind of um get had, I sort of managed to meet this um pre-arranged meet this um guy who was a cop um in Birdsville which is this outback town and he for 10 years he was the only police officer there and he policed you know the size of the UK all on his own for a decade and it's just it's like it's just mind-boggling and you know and he and I drove like 11 hours across the desert and he and we saw like five cars that whole time which was apparently a busy day and um it was it was so um you know and just yeah that that kind of I think, yeah, that that sort of um, needing to have all your supplies in the car, being so kind of isolated, even mm-hmm. yeah, even like a you know, um, and knowing that actually, you know, you, if if something happens, no one else might come along. It's it's a very it's, it's not something I think that most people in the Western world kind of experience. No, totally. You know, yeah. at all, really. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a great one. I had I had such a blast researching that one. And obviously, uh, when the dry came out, it it was a huge hit. New York Times bestseller, uh, won awards, been made into a movie, which we'll ask you about uh, later on. But, um, that, you know, that again must have, you've you've had these steps. You had the big issue story, which gave you the belief that you could write the novel. Then you had the competition for that for the dry itself that that, that opened the doors for you. And then for it to be received so well must have just been the stuff of dreams, really. Yeah, I mean, it was. And, and I mean, it, it, it has been because, um, you know, all all I really wanted to do originally was I, I just wanted to write a book, you know, and it was the, the bar was no higher than that. I just wanted to sort of get something published. And mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, for, for, the, for the, you know, the dry and all the books really to have been embraced the way they have. I mean, you know, that's that's what you do it for, I guess, for the readers and um and that is like probably the best that is really the best part of the whole experience is having readers say that they enjoyed it and they've shared it with their families and um you know wanted to sort of connect on that level yeah and um and since the dry you've written two more books with the same protagonist aaron falk uh, force of nature was your second book and exiles is your new one which is out february 2023 here in the uk um so i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what that book's about yeah, sure. So Exiles is, yes, it's the third and final one featuring um, Aaron Falk. And he, um, 
this uh, this one goes to this sort of lush wine region in South Australia for the christening of a family friend's uh, child. Um, and the story opens with the um, a, a mother going missing in a busy food and wine festival. Um, and that's kind of the, the catalyst for the mystery. But I think like all my books, the, the thing that most interests me is the, the sort of the aftermath and the relationships and the way the ripple effects of, you know, a traumatic event uh, kind of um, impact the whole community. And um, so... Yeah, I mean, this was this was a great one to write. I mean, I went into it in Exiles knowing that this will be the third, third and final book. So mm. it that was a that was kind of a, a good you know a good writing experience for me because I think going into something knowing it's going to be the last one, it you can kind of leave it all on the field. You know, it's, it, mm-hmm. you can do exactly what you you can make it exactly what you want it to be because you don't need to save anything in a tank yeah. for the future. It's interesting that you have decided, you know, because often with with these sorts of books people have the recurring character and that's what draws an audience back to them because it, it may be an entirely new story but there's the familiarity of the of the main protagonist I suppose what made you decide that this is it this is the last one that I want to do with this character yeah, I mean, it was it was a bit of a bittersweet decision because I mean, I do I, I have loved writing about him and and he's been you know and folks been with me since you know page one of of book one which was a dry you know so he's been with me the whole time um but I think it's, it, it was actually really because of that though I mean, people have asked is it because you were bored or you wanted to move on but it, that's not the case at all it's actually because you know he's a character who means so much to me um that's um my my sort of feeling is that you know in fiction especially like endings are really important yeah. you know and you've got to, you've got to end strong you can't just start strong you've got you've got to end strong and that goes for kind of a series as well and um you know when i think of some of my favorite series like books and your know, tv shows and film trilogies or whatever something a lot of them have in common is that the creator has known when to say when yeah and you know and i think part of being an author is being kind of you know honest with yourself about you know i mean not every character has the legs for 20 books you know it's it, it it's kind of you, you know knowing like how long you really feel you can sustain sort of the quality and the believability of that character so I wanted to yeah I wanted to give him like an ending that was you know right for him and you know was sort of deserving of a character who has given me so much so that was um that was really behind the decision putting aside any kind of other you know commercial incentives or whatever and just trying to really be true to what I felt was right for him as a character. I, th- I think that's interesting because obviously you're right, endings in fiction are so important. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I'm thinking we we spoke with um, Daniel Abraham, who, who wrote, who is one half the writing team for the Expanse novels, which are obviously science fiction, but interesting that he was like, absolutely after book nine, that is it, that is the end of the story. Because a lot of these things people assume Oh, maybe you'll go back. Maybe you'll revisit it. But the beauty of a story, as you say, is whether it's over one book, whether it's over three or nine or whatever, is that there is an ending. It comes to a conclusion, and then you can move on. And it is something, especially from a commercial point of view, that I think some authors are pressured not to do in, in some way. I think it helped that I'd written two standalones as well. Mm-hmm. In you know, over the five books, two of them are standalone. So I kind of had ripped that band-aid off a little bit. Um, you know, it was I think this at a certain points maybe in your I suppose your career or yeah, as trajectory as an author where you can you can do certain things. Um 
And then if you miss that window, maybe the window doesn't come along again for another yeah. couple of books. Yeah, and yeah. I think kind of having done the standalones and I, and I knew, um, I, I actually honestly actually find standalones a bit more fit in better with my writing style as well um, in that, you know, when you've got my sort of style is more kind of plot driven first and then the characters are built around that to, to, to sort of to tell a story in the best way. Whereas when you've got a recurring character, the, the they they are at the heart of it, yeah. and then the plot is built around them. So it's a slightly different, um, you know, way. And you are you do have those constrictions, I guess, when you you've got to bear in mind what's happened before and what is true to that character where they are now. Um, whereas with standalones, I mean, everything's on the table, and you can you can have anyone to be anywhere with it. I'm assuming the um, the choice of setting was inspired after your research trip to the outback. Were you like actually? I quite fancy a research trip to a nice somewhere. <laughs> you know, you're you're not wrong, honestly. Um, I I actually thought, and I, I'd also um, so I went to the outback and then for the following book, The Survivors, which was set in kind of rugged coastal Tasmania. Um, I, I'd actually given birth to my second child twelve weeks earlier, and then I had to go do this research trip to Tasmania, oh, wow. which involved me. Um, there's a scene in, in the Survivors where they, there's a like a like a shipwreck. This part of a diving expedition, and they, they tourists go and dive around this, this mm. shipwreck. And I didn't know anything about diving, so I had had to basically go diving in these like freezing Tasmanian waters. <laughs> so I was zipping myself into a wetsuit, like having given birth like twelve weeks earlier. And I honestly thought, you know what, never again. Like next <laughs> next time, <laughs> we're, go- we're going to wine country. <laughs> so. <laughs> and uh, obviously the, the just going back to the dry that as i mentioned it's been made into a film uh reese witherspoon bought the rights to it and uh, obviously eric banner was in in the movie that came out in 2021 i mean how did that process work how involved were you yeah it was good and um, i was lucky really with the the team that bought it so um so made up stories with the producers and then the screenplay was written by um uh, a guy called Robert Connolly who also directed it. So he really was like a huge driving force behind, you know, w- what a great film it turned out to be. Um, and he he lives actually really close to me and stuff. And so he he was very collaborative and we we spoke a lot. And I think the great thing about Robert was he really, yeah, he 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 kind of completely puts his ego his own ego aside. He doesn't have an ego. But he put he completely puts himself aside and he really embraced the book and understood what readers had responded to and. Um, it just did a great adaptation that I thought completely captured that kind of spirit of it. Um, you know, and it doesn't always happen. I mean, I've had other scripts come through for, you know, other novels of mine that we should just, um, just do not do that. And it's so disappointing. And, you know, it's, it sort of made me really realise how lucky I was with that film that it, it, it turned out so well. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, but um, I, I was actually in it as well, which was a lot of fun. So um, I'm at the funeral in this, my husband as well, at the second row. And then we're also at the wake playing grieving oh, townspeople never... very beautifully. <laughs> <I never> saw... <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch it again. That. That's right. Yeah, we were there for two days filming. I think we, like, like a couple of my friends and my, my brother's in it. You, you won't know, but you've definitely seen my brother. He, he, um, he actually did theatre studies at uni and used that knowledge to position himself directly behind Eric Banner to the point where <laughs> even when they were filming Eric's close-up, my brother had to stay 
stayed in, but like gradually they released it. Okay, you can go. You had a shot. You had a shot. My brother had to stay there until the very last scene because he was so <laughs> on Eric's shoulder <laughs> that he was. Smart that they couldn't man. cut him out. That's right. So he's definitely in it. But um, yeah, two days of filming in the baking sun. We're on for about four seconds, but it was totally worth it. Like you <laughs> yeah, know, get, get, just get your pause button ready. <laughs> Does, is there a part of you when you when it comes to like adaptions of of your work? Is there a part of you that I mean, it sounds like you you obviously you're protective of your characters and your plots and your books and stuff. And is there, is there a part of you that puts that to one side and says, well, there's a commercial aspect to it as well. You know, uh, what what serves the screen might not serve the book and you have to hand, you know, you have to trust that whoever's making the film knows what they're doing and, and things you maybe don't think make sense for, for a book might work better for a screen. Or is that kind of trust part of it? Yeah, I mean, that that's the ideal. And it, that's exactly what I kind of try and I work towards that, you know. Um, I think it's it's quite hard it, it it honestly depends a bit on who's got it. I mean, when Robert Conley had it, there were, you know, um, he he did exactly that. I think he there were things that are sort of different on screen than they are in a book, but they're so faithful to the spirit of the book that you you can't really separate them. I mean, I kind of I guess I sometimes recognise them because I know the book quite well, but I think you can't you don't watch a film and think oh that's just film or that's different from the book yeah. because it's very organic. Yeah. Um, so that was that was great. And I think having that level of trust is really important. But I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, this script, they just don't, just don't get it. And they, they, you can tell whoever's involved, they want to make something different, you know, and it's, um, I, I don't really know. I mean, I'm not a screenwriter and I don't really know. Um, I, I, I don't really know why that approach is different and why it works so well. Some people can just really get it and some people just kind of see it more as a springboard for something completely different. Um, but yeah, it definitely helps a lot when you've got someone like Robert Connolly, you really got that kind of level of trust um, and you can just kind of know that he's going to you know, do, do the right thing really. And do you have a, because obviously you've said that you've had other scripts for, for some of your books that, that, that were disappointing. I mean, do you, how much of a say do you have over these things? Once the, once the option is taken, how much input do you have? Yeah, I mean, not real, none really. I mean, that's sort of the, you know, even when they're being collaborative, um, you know, it's, it's all kind of just um, courtesy rather than legally binding or anything. I mean, it's a bit like I always kind of liken it to sort of, it's, it's like, you know, selling your beloved childhood home, you know, and you can do yeah. all your research and you can, you know, sell it to people who say they're going to love it and they're going to, you know, move their family in and, and everything. And and you sort of have to kind of take that on faith. But then if you sell it and then you, you drive by a six-month time and it's now a six-story block of flats, mm-hmm. you can't go knocking on the door and complain really because you don't own it anymore. So you just kind of hope it is someone who, you know, does love it and, you know, kind of replants the flower beds and, you know, puts in a double glazing and stuff. But, yeah, it's, 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 it is, it's a huge leap of faith, really. And am I right in saying that Force of Nature's, the second Falk book, has also been made into a movie? Yeah, so that's, the film is completed. The film is actually um, sort of in the final editing stages. Um, like, as as we speak, I'm actually due to go and see that next week. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, so that'll Any be Any starring fun. part in that one? No, I wasn't. <laughs> we, we, no, I know, we tried actually, but um, it was, um, this one was like, I got to go on set and see them. And honestly, they were just, um, 
every single person was just kind of muttering on their breath about how tough the shoot was because it was out in like bushland <laughs> in winter and they kept on, people kept on coming and showing me pictures of leeches on their phones you know look at look at this one you know like I don't know what I'd just be just thrust them into my face and um and they were having to kind of carry the cameras like 20 minutes down like a tiny like bushland track and so um yeah, so it actually didn't. Uh, we we did actually try, but there weren't many opportunities. It just didn't. It, the time just didn't work out. Which there was one opportunity where maybe, but it involved sort of getting out at like four a.m. and putting on like a, a an SES rescue worker suit and like traipsing through this leech in bushland. I thought, oh, do you know what? I might I might just <laughs> I might just go on an easier day and drink coffee and watch from the sidelines. Your brother must be in there somewhere. Surely he's. I know. Just <laughs> he always holding behind Eric Bass. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And is is script writing, you know, writing a screenplay or something you would ever want to try yourself? Or are you happy in the in the prose world? I think I think I'm happier leaving it to the people who who love it. You know, it is it is a bit of a different um, style of writing. And I mean, I suppose it's something you know you could, if I kind of my mind to it, you could probably learn it and um, kind of get to grips with it. But it is it is quite different. And I think. You know, anything that sort of takes me away from the novels, it, it does, it has to be worth it. You know, I mean, the novels for me, they're, they're kind of the absolute core of, you know, what I love to do and they're my business. And, um, you know, that's sort of why I got into writing. Um, and so, yeah, anything that was sort of taken away from that for a big length of time has to sort of be better than that. And I haven't really found anything else that I feel as passionate about. Yeah. Are you, what sort of, What's your daily routine? Once you finish a novel, do you take time off? Are you writing every day for a bit? Have you got a word target? How does it work? In the yeah, I, I mean, it kind of depends where I am in the in the um yeah in the process. Um, so I don't like I don't write every day when I'm not working on it. You know, I'm I'm not sort of um I do kind of take you know quite a lot of time off between the books. Um, especially because I always think uh, yeah, like I said before, the planning and thinking stages are really important. I mean, that is such valuable time well spent for me, and it always pays off. So. Um, after I've kind of the books, you know, completed, like I will take sort of, I won't sort of go near the computer for quite a long time. Um, but then when I, I'm writing, it kind of, it gradually builds up, you know, I start off doing a couple of days a week. So I've got, I've got two children who are six and three. So I sort of do it during school hours and I start off going in a few days a week. And then as it gets close to the deadline, I'm in kind of yeah, seven days, seven days a week, you know, from dusk till dawn, you know, old, uh, yeah, dawn till dusk and, um, and, and yeah, and then it, then the deadline kind of hits and it sort of slows down again. So um, I think though, I mean, my sort of biggest thing, I, I guess I tell like aspiring writers is to find a bit of consistency. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I can kind of um, afford now to take the time off because I know my process well enough that I can, I know I can get back into it when I need to. But I think in those early days, just doing like a little, a little bit often was such an important yeah. part of that to build that habit. Um, and, and I kind of wanted to ask, you said earlier on that um, in your standalone books, they're really, it's about the plot. And then when you've got your kind of Falk books, it's more about fitting the plot around the characters. But where do you, where does a plot come from for you? You know, where do you get the idea for a new book? Cause do you have a process that you go through news articles or something to spark things? Or do you just, do things just kind of pop up by themselves? Yeah, I mean, this is something I actually also love to kind of tell aspiring writers is that I feel like there's so much emphasis on this, you know, this this kind of myth that you you get this like kind of lightning strike of an idea and suddenly the the idea for the book is there. It's like, mm-hmm. great, you know, I'm going to write a book about that and this is going to happen. And and I, the thing I, you know, I, I, I kind of really would love to get across is that, um, you know, the, the ideas, um, 
the idea itself is nothing. You know, it's kind of, it's the execution of it. So, yeah, I mean, really all the ideas in all my books kind of boil down to the same thing, which is, you know, something's happened. It looks like this, but it's actually this, you know, and it's, it's that kind of, um, and then, and then you, you kind of sit there for ages, sort of, you know, the months of thinking, okay, so what, what has happened and what does it look like and what has really happened and what are those sort of avenues? So, um, you know, really early on, you know, I'm looking for kind of just, I guess, a, a, a little kind of hook that maybe draws me in. Like it could just be, you know, like a, like a good setting or a little bit of an idea about, you know, what if someone did something and there was a bit of a question around what really happened with it. And, but then, you know, that from there you're kind of testing out, okay, so who is that person and where, where is the setting and what does it look like? And is, and it's like, um, you know, when you go to the optometrist and they did they, that thing where they, they put, is, 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 it, is this one better or is this one better? Is it, you know, one or two, one or two. And you know, so I'm constantly kind of coming through like, is, is, is it one or two? And then, okay, now is it, is it one or two and which one is better? And you're trying to find a constantly find the, the better idea. Um, and I feel like I know when I fit that, when it just feels, it sort of settles and suddenly it opens up more avenues. It feels like that is, I can't really imagine in any other way that it could be. It just feels yeah. like. I've, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I just, cause I think, one thing that put me off when I was starting was you just feel like you've got to have that lightning strike. And I just, for me, it just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. There is a sort of pressure that you've got to have this, you know, amazing high concept one line pitch that you can tell anyone and they'll just be yeah. desperate to do, to read it. But <clears throat> as you say, it's all about the execution. A lot of stories, if you break them down into one line, sound very similar. Especially but crime, right? Yeah. There's so much exactly. crime is, is a dead person in an investigation. As you say, it's how you tell that story, which is which makes it separate from the rest. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where, you know, I could go out and tell people all my, you know, I mean, I don't even have lots of ideas. It's not like I have like a whole barrel full of ideas. Like you kind of have one idea and you sort of build it up, build it up. And, you know, is it the right idea? And you sort of test it out. But, you know, you could tell someone your initial idea and they would write a completely different book. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, so, I mean, I guess the, the important thing is it, it interests you. It interests you enough that you feel like there's those avenues of, questions or the journey of the character whatever it is you're you're wanting to write about like does it have enough opportunity and that's I guess what I'm always looking for Mm -hmm. and so um Exiles is is out soon in the UK um but what is next are you working on something now or have you have you already got the next one in the pipeline no I haven't um so yeah Exiles came out in um it came out recently Australia then it's out in the UK um in yeah early february and um so at the moment i'm just sort of working through yeah the, the kind of publication tasks i guess you know around that like um yeah um the sort of i don't know, I, I guess you know it's, it's sort of for me it kind of it, I, I find it hard to think about more than one book at a time so i almost have to get one like the one that's published done and then i can sort of turn my mind to it so it is around this time that i would start thinking about the next one um but um yeah I've got um I mean my my kids are still really young and I've had quite a grueling you know I've sort of turned out five books since 2016 which is what six years ago so I'm sort of um taking my time a little bit just to get back, back to the computer and <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so so what's Think of a nice yeah, place to you know, go for a research trip yeah. <laughs> that's right exactly yeah that, that's a top priority <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
the last book that you read? So um, the last one today, um, uh, I actually really enjoyed um, that I read recently was um, this is a by a guy called Benjamin Stevenson, and he's Australian, um, and he's um, he's actually a comedian, but he's also um, an author, and he's written this great book called Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, which is out currently now available in the UK. It is so fun. It's like this um, really cool funny take on classic crime so i don't know if you know like you know only murders in the building and oh, that yeah, sort of yeah. thing where yeah it's it's, it's it's that sort of it's got that kind of vibe about it just it's got all these the kind of everything um you love about classic crime but kind of wrapped up in this really fresh original package oh, cool. where um yeah I, i'd highly recommend it if you like the kind of crime genre it's such i haven't read anything like it before and it's it's so well done so yeah it says benjamin stevenson everyone in my family has killed someone brilliant i'll oh, definitely check that out um, what about the last film that you watched? Last film? Oh, oh God. Do you know what? I actually, um, I actually, because <laughs> my, my, my children are so demanding. Um, I rarely get a chance to watch um, actual films. I, I'll tell you what I've been watching on TV, though. I've been working my way through the Netflix series um, uh, Drive to Survive. Drive, 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 it's the F1. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. the F1 like, reality show, which I have... I would have said I have no interest in F1, but my God, that show is gripping. Like that is <laughs> that is an, a masterclass in editing because I am hooked. I've watched like, yeah, I'm on like s- series four and I've just watched it back to back. So um, yeah, it's um, th- that's how, that's how you do it. Just <laughs> <laughs> excellent. <laughs> yeah, well, I love very... a good Netflix documentary. The, the, uh, cool, the other yeah. sports one, which I didn't think I would I would enjoy, but I loved, was the Michael Jordan one. Um, the called? last dance last dance yeah, yeah. i'm not a, yeah i don't know I, about basketball but that was just fantastic i i agree and it was actually um there was an australian on that team who barely got mentioned in the documentary so then um there's a whole bunch of australian documentaries that came out after that featuring <laughs> this this australian player <laughs> and like the contribution he'd made you know so that was that was a little bit of local flavor as well <laughs> uh, well the very very last thing we always do is a uh, super quick fire either or and I always say there's no right answer here apart from one. But we'll start off with, um, <laughs> let's go for Leanne Moriarty or Chris Hammer. Leanne Moriarty. Um, TV or cinema? TV. Uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Early Bird. Um, music or no music when you're writing? Oh, music, but without lyrics. Instrumental okay, only. Yeah, okay, yep. Um, and the last one, let's go for audiobook or ebook. Oh God, can I say neither? I'm I'm a print <laughs> I'm a print fan through and through. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant because Tarek changed. We always used to ask real book or ebook, like as in print book or ebook, because n- no one would say ebook. <laughs> so he changed the question, and someone still says. Print I'm, I'm not sure what I can compare an ebook to to get people to pick an ebook. To be honest, <laughs> that's right. Ebook or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So even when you change the question, Tarek, audiobook, ebook, <laughs> she still picks real book. I'm not sure what I can do anymore. It's 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 obviously a conspiracy. There's obviously some kind of global conspiracy that authors just really hate ebooks, and I'm, I'm sick to the back teeth of it. Quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks very much to Jane for coming on to the podcast. I thought that was a really interesting chat and and interesting. You know, I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but um, you know, choosing to end, I know the, the series of 
of Aaron Falk books, which, you know, as she says, endings are important in stories. And I think it is a brave decision, but, you know, it can be very satisfying when you have a proper um, closure to a character, even if it's after a few books or whatever. But, you know, often very tempting to continue that character on into, into further books. Yeah, and flies in the face of you know folk like Rankin or Michael Connolly with his Bosch books, etc. You know where, where people get to know a character over fifteen, twenty books, etc. It's there's something to be said about going the other way and saying, you know what, I'm going to give you a a, a good ending, and that's worth more than mm-hmm. eighteen more books. This character, and I, and I, I, I like the as, as you say, it is, it is a brave move, and I like the and it makes me think it must be a quite a good ending if she's if she's chosen to end it. Something, yeah, I mean, although he's, he's I mean, dies, he? you know. Time. Uh, Rankin did retire Rebus and then brought him back and stuff. That's so true. It, there's yeah, always yeah. that possibility. There's always ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, so thanks to Jane, Exiles is out on the 2nd of February, so you can pick that one up. Um, we'll, in the UK, it's already out in Australia, but uh, we'll put a link in the podcast description so you can order that if you want to. Uh, and next week, we've got another great guest in the world of crime and thrillers. Yeah, another female crime writer, Louise Candlish, who uh, her latest book is The Only Suspect. It's out uh, next month as well. And uh, another really interesting chat, another person who's, I mean, she's written you know, almost a book a year for yeah. the last 15 years or so. It's really impressive. And um, and, and her process um, is much like other people who've written this many books. It's very interesting to learn how she does it, what she focuses on, how she gets the, the hits those deadlines every year. Employs her husband as a researcher. <laughs> yeah. That's quite an important part of it, it sounds like. Um, but Worst also, never met. The, 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 the only suspect is interesting because she's said it in 1995, um, which, we, you know, we had, we, we had quite a fun discussion about the advantages of setting yeah. crime books, especially in the era before technology well modern technology like phones social media cctv etc which must ruin so many plots potential plots for crime writers so many old school hitchcock movies just wouldn't work nowadays i mean you could just phone the person up oh there they are yeah exactly i'll just check my find my iphone yeah the next i'll just check the (laughs) the ring camera footage oh there they are that's who it was yeah exactly Um, so yeah no it's a really fun chat so please do tune in for that one if you enjoyed this episode though please do take time to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app because that helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast and if you want to get in touch you can always drop us a tweet in the twitter machine which is at uk page one or send us an email which is podcast at uh, rightgear.co.uk Still not. And it's also Mastodon. To, still not. I was actually looking at. I mean, right look at the to, look at the uh, podcast description. It tells you how to do it. Writing dot exchange slash slash uh, at page one pod is is how you find us on Mastodon as well. If you're on that platform, but otherwise, have a great week, and we hope to see you next episode. See you later. <laughs>